0: Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we'll talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators, addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation and efficiency to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you're ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution towards solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlscott. I'm a principal at Fovea, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm. In this episode, you'll hear my interview with Dr. Lee Ball. Lee is the Chief Sustainability Officer at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. While our goal for this conversation was to talk about his podcast, Find Your Sustainability, we also get into a myriad of other topics. Lee will explain the robust sustainability program at Appalachian State and how he works with people there to find their connection to sustainability. We'll touch on the connections and disconnections of rural and urban communities with the natural world, and Lee will describe how he has approached working in sustainability in the heart of Trump country. We'll end with an overview of the App State Solar Powered Racing Team. Please enjoy this May 31st, 2018 interview with Dr. Lee Ball. Well, Lee, it's great to talk to you again today. Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Well, the original premise of this show was to talk about your podcast, Find Your Sustainability, Uh, which I have to say arguably has a much more creative title than this podcast does.
1: (laughs) I did not come up with it.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, But before we get into that, I thought you could start us off by just giving us a bit of background on yourself and maybe your role uh, and a little bit about the program at Appalachian State, assuming I pronounced that correctly.
1: Yeah. Yep. Appalachian. App State.
0: Great. We'll go with that. App State. Well, why don't you kick us off?
1: Sure. Um, so, I'm the University's Chief Sustainability Officer. I'm very fortunate to be in this role, but, but prior to that, uh, I came to Appalachian State in 2002 uh, and started teaching in our building science program, and so my, my specialty is residential construction, sustainable building design, and I was faculty here for 14 years and um you know became very involved with campus sustainability um and you know leadership around campus sustainability and various different committees and working groups and task force as we tried to organize ourselves and um and and then I had the opportunity to step into this position and lead our sustainability office, which is about eight years old um it's uh, It's a lot of fun I'm able to work with Both sides of the house, you know, business affairs, academic affairs, and my position reports up through the chancellor's office, so we have a lot of credibility on this campus, and and, uh, so, you know, we're mostly trying to help people find their connection to sustainability, and um, we do also a lot of... um, a fundraising around sustainability, and we run multiple different programs and projects, um, you know and and help support other sustainability focused and related programs and projects all across campus. Um, we're We're very lucky to have a, a a lot of capacity within our office. We employ about twenty five. well, this fall we'll have about thirty students um, on the payroll and uh, uh, six full-time staff members and, and um, gives us the ability to really get a lot of work done. And, and again, like I said, support sustainability efforts across campus. Uh, the university is, is um, a, a great place because it's situated in the southern Appalachian Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains and northwest North Carolina and it's we call it the high country our elevation here at campus is 3333 feet and um and it's it's a cooler place in the summer than most places in the south and really most places on the east coast and uh and it's a mountain rural mountain community and and because it's a rural mountain community uh, the sense of thrift and, you know, the true sense of, you know, being conservative really is um, at the kind of the root of our uh, kind of mission and, and really experience around sustainability. So, you know, the mountain people here have. They're very resilient, you know. They have a lot of tenacity, and you know they to they know how to do more with less. And 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 that, coupled with the the beautiful surroundings of this mountain environment, I think is probably why sustainability emerged here at Appalachian State. In the 60s and 70s, um, kind of on the uh, academic side in the classroom, so there, uh, a lot of faculty started developing sustainability courses before we even used that word in the lexicon, and and we had earth studies programs in the 70s. We had one of the first, we think. Um, sustainable development degree programs in the country, and we have an appropriate technology program that's now called sustainable technology. That also started in the '80s, and and so we've been doing it for a long time. And 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 it's, we're just um, uh, again, like I said, very very lucky to have this dynamic sort of emerge here at Appalachian State. Just a lot of really committed students, a lot of committed faculty, a lot of committed staff. Um, you know, I came to it through the environment largely, undergraduate degree in biology and natural science, so it was the environmental connection and natural world that I was drawn to originally, and then my master's degree was in environmental education. Um, I, you know, realized pretty early on that I wanted to not become a scientist, but I wanted to work in, in education and try to, you know, teach people to, to care more. Um, all along, though, I had construction experience. My father was a contractor. And so kind of, you know, fallback jobs were, you know, building and construction. and ended up doing stonemasonry and had my own business. And then because I had a master's degree, I had the opportunity to be an adjunct. And, you know, I thought that was kind of exciting until, you know, I was, um, you know, a struggling adjunct. A lot of people <laughs> probably can relate to that. <laughs> and, and I did that for a long time and kind of became a lecturer and, and um, But, you know, decided to go back and get a doctorate in sustainability education from Prescott College, great program, um, made a lot of lifelong friends there, and, uh, you know, had the opportunity to take the helm here at the, uh, at the Office of Sustainability at Appalachian State, and it's been three years since I've um, been in this role, and it's, you know, never a dull moment in my job.
0: Well, there's a, a lot to dig into there. Um, I can certainly relate to the mountain culture comments. I grew up in rural western Montana, surrounded by the mountains, and I know what you mean by folks having a sense of resilience and conservatism in that, in the truest sense of that word. Um, actually, I wasn't too far from the University of Montana, which I think used to play Apple, or sorry, Appalachian State in football, if I remember correctly. Yes,
1: that was we we did compete, um, and and now we Appalachian State has moved up to. The uh, championship series, Division One, and,
0: ah, yeah, okay.
1: football is, is um, big here as well.
0: Moving on <laughs> up, I guess. Well, so you also mentioned you have six full-time staff and 30 students, and that seems like a pretty – big department for a school of your size and something I think a lot of other sustainability officers would be jealous of. Um, but if I understand it correctly, you're quite a bit smaller than say UNC Chapel Hill, right?
1: Yeah, we're a mid-major. So, um, uh, 18,000 is, will probably be our enrollment this fall coming up. Uh, okay. We've been experiencing a lot of slow and steady growth here. And, um, yeah, we, we're, we're lucky, you know, we're, we get a lot of support from um, our chancellor and leadership at Appalachian State and and sustainability is a part of our strategic plan. It's a really big part of our strategic plan. And uh, so people take it seriously here.
0: Well, and the, the other thing you mentioned uh, a second ago was something about funding, fundraising. Tell me more about what you meant by that. Is that for your department or for the school at large? Or tell me more.
1: Yeah, kind of all the above. You know, um, I work at low and high levels here. And so, you know, we fundraise for, you know, specific projects. And also, you know, we're working on, you know, developing new parts of campus. We're currently imagining an innovation campus that's, probably going to be close to a 70 million dollar build out you know by by the time it's all said and done and um you know there's a lot of strategy related to trying to raise that kind of money fortunately i'm not you know the one to do all the heavy lifting on that but i'm involved Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of the conversations and a lot of the strategy behind it and and it's and that that project will have a big sustainability focus and it's going to be all about sustainability and and, and really how people can work together in collaborative teams to problem solve and to you know, create new ideas and technology. And um, it's going to be very transdisciplinary and evolve just about every college on campus.
0: Well, that, that leads into one of my questions for you. Would you say you're focused more on the operational aspects of sustainability or more on sustainability education?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the sustainability office is standalone. We're not an academic unit. Um, and so almost every college on campus has a sustainability program. Um, sustainable development is a department. They focus on uh, agriculture and policy and, you know, more in the social science realm. And um, then we also have a sustainable technology degree program as well that focuses on uh, mostly renewable energy. And you know our building science program has a big sustainable building design component. It's also in the same department with sustainable technology. It's actually called sustainable technology in the built environment. That's the department's name. Our College of Business does a lot as well. There's a sustainability minor, but there's also a sustainability track in their MBA program. And so, you know, they're doing a lot. And then there's a ton in biology, uh, as well as environmental sciences, environmental studies. And so there's a lot of, you know, sustainability integrated all throughout the university.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there's quite a bit going on there. Um, How much of this was set up before you started? You said you'd been there about three years or so. And how much have you had to set up since you took on the role?
1: Yeah, well, so I came in 2002 as faculty. And then everything... Well, with the exception of the sustainable MBA was already in place, so yeah, I mean there's a long history of of faculty teaching sustainability in the classroom here and when I stepped into the role of Chief Sustainability Officer, we just tried to find ways to support them to get students their students involved with projects on campus you know we're, we do really we do a very good job of kind of using the campus as a living laboratory. Our staff here that are responsible for overseeing things related to energy efficiency and renewable energy and zero waste and and our recycling. We have a very robust composting program. Our staff is really interested and good at working with students and faculty, which I see my peers at other institutions um, Are you know, have um, barriers and and, and different kinds of challenges related to try to get, you know, those two entities together.
0: Yeah, it sounds like your campus has quite a long history of making this work. And it's uh, fun to hear about a campus that's been able to bridge that gap between the operations and education, because I know that's not necessarily the easiest thing to pull off all the time.
1: We certainly have bridged the gap. I mean, I think that that is our strongest component to Uh, campus sustainability where it's pretty seamless when a student or a faculty member come to us with an idea we're going to make we're going to help them try to realize that idea so if they want to you know learn about data related to a building our you know our staff are they've got it at their fingertips and they're willing to share you know if they want to be involved with plan reviews of With renewable energy systems or or learn about, you know, the process of, you know, building buildings, you know, we can plug them in. Um, Our compost program is amazing. We have a 100-ton facility. Uh, We can accept 100 tons of input annually. We started composting in buildings across campus, but it's mostly started with our dining hall and with kind of pre-consumer waste in the dining hall. And uh, now we're starting to offer composting at academic buildings and at residence halls, which we're going to be rolling it out very aggressively here um, this fall to every resident hall on campus and more and more academic buildings. So not making people compost, um, but, you know, we're going to make it available so the people that do want to save their compost and their workspaces and classroom spaces will have a place to put it. Right. And there's just, you know, there's a lot of research opportunity with that. And so students get really interested, involved, and, and we just, you know, we, we have a lot of fun trying to help, you know, students and faculty imagine how they can, you know, make what they're learning more hands-on and applied.
0: A short editorial break here. We had forgotten to turn Lee's local recorder on when we were recording the podcast, but we remembered at this point. So you'll hear the sound quality quite a bit better from this point forward. So, Lee, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the specific roles you have within your staff. It sounds like having six full time staff and all those students has been a pretty big enabler in helping you do all the great work you're doing.
1: It does. I mean, you know, we, we have a communication team. And so we have one person that, you know, her role is to manage all of our social media, our website. And she's fortunately also a very good graphic designer. We do a lot of outreach through our office, and, and so people often utilize our services to make a poster, or we want to make posters. You know, there's all kinds of ways to to, to message about sustainability, but, you know, a lot of it is through um, print media. And then so the student team that we have, they you know, they're kind of the boots on the ground that can kind of get everything out and hang it up and... You know, we'll do sidewalk chalk sometimes and or we'll do a lot of tabling different places. And and, you know, that kind of communication part of what we do is critical. We also have someone that's, you know, involved with um, managing all of our campus renewable energy systems. And he's a data specialist for us. So he he leads our stars reporting process for ASEE. And, you know, he has a a couple of graduate assistants. You know, of those students, we have four or five GAs, typically graduate students, and then the rest are all undergraduate students. And so we get to cherry pick, you know, GAs from different programs on campus that offer graduate work to, you know, to their students. And, And we're fortunate to have really good relationships with faculty that can, you know, help us find really good people. And then we have another staff person who is primarily responsible for managing zero waste on campus. We have a green office certification on campus. We help facilitate a lot of green events and zero waste events. And so she makes sure that all those programs are running smoothly. And we've got, you know, warm bodies there to to make sure that they're going to happen without a hitch and and I could go on and on because, you know, her role is really expanded. And we're, we're hiring an outreach coordinator. The job is currently posted. That person is going to be responsible for really managing all the students and allow our program manager to have more time to be able to make our programs even stronger. And then on top of that, we've got two administrative positions. So one kind of den mother, if you will, office manager to take good care of all of us and onboards a lot of with the HR needs that we have and all the paperwork related to hiring all these students. And, and then we also have um, another, he is a, a finance manager and event planner. And uh, we do a large conference for 500 people every year. It's happening in late July. And then we also, um, our university has a solar vehicle team. And the solar vehicle team is run through our office. We're the lead administrators for that project. And it's a student-run project, but we administer it. And he is the kind of lead administrator for that um, on the kind of admin kind of purchasing and uh, level. So it's, there's a lot going on, and we're also about to hire a development officer.
0: Wow, okay. To help
1: me with fundraising.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you've got a ton going on there. And I think anybody listening to this would be pretty jealous of that that level of staffing. That's pretty amazing, uh, the team you have going on there. I know, yeah, I know. We're very fortunate, very blessed. So, one thing I did want to ask you was how are you funding all of this? I mean, do you have multiple revenue streams for this or is this all coming from the central office?
1: Yeah, there's multiple revenue streams. Uh, we, we have to, you know, we're very creative um, because sustainability has been integrated into our strategic plan. You know, that helps with, with the, you know, the kind of the funding piece. It, you know, there's, there's several funding streams and buckets of money. And, um, you know, some from the chancellor's office, some from business affairs, some from academic affairs, some from donors Okay. As
0: well. Well, yeah. So it sounds like it's maybe evolved a little bit over time. It has, it's been an evolution. It started as an office of two. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that leads me into another question, which is you mentioned you had 30 students working for you. Um, how are you dealing with the fact that I know from my own experience, students are great, except for they eventually graduate. So then, you've got them all trained up, and they leave you. <laughs> we we try to encourage them
1: to go to grad school. Okay. Um, yeah. We and we and we sometimes hire them. We've got a couple of um, um graduates working for us this summer that um that decide they didn't want to they didn't want to leave Boone quite yet. And um, so we are like, yeah, well, you stick around and work for us this summer. It'd be great to have you. So there are, you know, temps for the summer, part-time temps, but um that's really difficult. We're proud of them and we want them to go off and save the world. It's hard to see them leave the nest because we invest a lot of time in them, but we're also really proud to see where they end up and to track their progress. And, you know, it's it's exciting for them. It's exciting for us, but it is a little difficult with that institutional knowledge baton pass. STARS is probably the biggest example of where we struggle. And so that's that STARS reporting is a three year cycle. And uh, by the time we get someone trained up to help us with the reporting process, with mostly with all the data gathering, um, you know, they're ready to leave. Right. And uh, so our, our current student that is helping us with that was an undergrad and has stayed for graduate school. And so that's, you know, that's ideal. Often when we find, you know, one of these shining stars as an undergraduate, we ask them if they have graduates, you know, plans. And, and if they do, and if they're here, we're, you know, we're very fortunate. And especially if they want to keep working for us.
0: So you've got some sort of policy to clip their wings so they don't leave the nest. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I got it. All <laughs> Not right. Not Totally. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, So I wanted to get back to the original premise of this podcast, which was to talk about your podcast, Find Your Sustainability, which as far as I understand, it's still pretty early days, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I don't have a lot of time to do it. Um, I started, I guess the first one was in November, 2015, and I didn't publish another one until 2017 in March, but it was, you know, it takes a lot to, to sound engineer everything. It started because we have this an amazing university communication group on campus that supports um, all the campus communication and marketing needs. And they have a podcast team and a podcast studio. They invited me to start a podcast and help me come up with a title, Find Your Sustainability. There's just so amazing to work with that i was just honored to to do this i'd never even thought about doing a podcast i feel like i've barely gotten my legs probably haven't yet you know i just kind of stumbled my way through it it's um it's always like the introduction, the formal part that I have to like be on sort of script and say the right thing that I stumble in my podcast, and we have to re- you know usually it's after my guest is gone, and I'll go back and redo it <laughs> and, and uh but once we kind of get into flow like we're doing now, I'm very comfortable yeah it's uh it's been a lot of fun. I've had some really interesting guests on. I try to interview our keynote speakers for. Our conference, or it's actually called the Appalachian Energy Summit, and so I, I I try to interview those people when they're when they're here, and then anybody else that you know just find interesting. I've done six, I believe, and five are published.
0: Right? Yeah, I've been impressed with some of the heavy hitters you've had on. I know what Gina McCarthy, um, former head of the EPA, um, Majora Carter. Uh, I'm trying to remember some of the others.
1: Yep, that's right. And Jeff Biggers was another one. He he specializes in regenerative cities and sustainability in Appalachia. Um, and then the other two were kind of internal people that are you know, one staff person and one faculty member.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm trying to remember those as well. I think it was somebody from maybe your finance department or something like that
1: um no (laughs) okay (laughs) you tell me social justice yeah it was a faculty member Uh, in in health sciences and he focuses on social justice yeah all right and food insecurity we we run a food pantry out of our office too there's you know like many campuses across across the country a lot of students faculty and staff are food insecure And there was a demonstrated need here at Appalachia State. And um, we decided, hey, what the heck, we've got some extra space. We turned a conference room into a food pantry and a free store. And we've been running it now for two years. And it's um, unfortunately been very um, successful. It's used a lot.
0: Right. Yeah, one of those programs you're glad you have but wish you didn't need, right? Exactly. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, getting back to the podcast, so – you know, again, I've been impressed with some of the people you've been able to talk to. And I think I've been struck most by the fact that, you know, like I remember Gina McCarthy really giving a, a true personal story uh, about her journey through sustainability and her role in leadership. Um, so, yeah. can you tell me a little bit more about that? I mean, what have you learned from talking to all these folks or just generally in your work um, leading this department at Appalachian State?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I believe that leadership is one of the big keys to, you know, maybe us getting out of this mess one day, you know, that that we found ourselves in with almost 8 billion people on the planet and finite resources, you know, leaders all around the world, um, whenever they make a decision, it, in my opinion, it's, there's going to be a sustainability opportunity. And, and so the more that we, help our leaders understand their connection to sustainability, I feel like that they'll deepen their understanding and that when they have to make decisions, the hope is that they will consider a, an option that is more sustainable. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. And so, you know, I found in my work that I work with a lot of leaders, I'm, you know, very fortunate um, to sometimes work at a, at a higher level. And, um, you know, I, I just try to help them understand their connection and I love hearing people's story. If they connect because they love the woods or they love to fish or they love to paint, you know, landscapes or whatever it is, if they love animals or if they, you know, love food or whatever their connection is, I love to hear those stories. I think it's important for people to understand their own kind of sustainability story, how they've come to either the social justice or the environment or, or, or economics and all the different ways that we can connect. Hearing people's stories is their, um, their personal stories. I just find it fascinating. And I think it's, it's, it's really in my personality to try to get there to, to the root of a person for, for whatever reason. I don't know. It's, I'm always trying to make connections with people. I think, you know, asking their story is, is just fun and, and intriguing and, I've seen kind of aha moments within, you know, my friends and colleagues and people that I'm, you know, talking to about sustainability, they've, you know, through these conversations, they've made, I've watched them make connections that they didn't make before that they didn't kind of realize, you know what I'm saying? And, um, yeah. 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 So I just find it just fascinating.
0: Yeah. That brings us back to your comments earlier about the rural community because you know, that, Sense of personal connection definitely seems to be stronger. Uh, you know, I know growing up in rural Montana, that was the case. Uh, but there definitely also is this disconnect between the politics that we associate with those areas. And, and I'm not sure what that's all about, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Maybe you can speak to that. You know, I think
1: that, that um, those of us that were fortunate to maybe live um, more closely, more maybe closer connected to nature. Uh, there's more of a chance that we never lost our disconnect to nature. So, you know, you f- compare that to someone that was born in the middle of a city of 10 million people. And, you know, maybe there's a park here and there or, or some trees here and there, but it's, it's their, their connection to nature is vastly different to kind of how we grew up in a more kind of suburban, Areas, maybe that were, uh, that had more access to the woods, if you will, or some natural, you know, feature, you know, a water body, a creek, um, an ocean, or even a park that's close. I think that that disconnect, again, is a key to why people um, don't care as much. I think when you ask people, of course, every, most people care about, you know, each other and we care about the environment you know we don't want to ruin it but that innate care connection that i think that a lot of us have because we were we we, we retain that connection over time is something that um i think we can work towards rebuilding we can do it with the design of our buildings. We can do it through the design of our cities and landscapes. Um, that kind of that field, biophilia, biophilic design, is something that really attracts me, and I think it's a, it's a strategy that that um, I'm interested in using more and more to help people retain their connection to the natural world.
0: Excellent. Well, I think that leads well into my next question, which maybe it's building on those personal relationships to some extent. But I wanted to ask you about being on the other side of the country from where I'm at and being in the deep, deep in the heart of Trump country. What has it been like working in sustainability during this, this political moment that we're experiencing, um, I suppose, you know, given all you just said about personal connections, perhaps you avoid politics or just work around them, but I'd be, Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to hear just sort of how you've approached that or, you know, if things are different or if it's really affected you much at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, our town was blue, our County was red, you know, and, and, um, it's very typical, um, to have the rural um, parts of north carolina all went red I, I, you know the i've seen it mobilizing all kinds of people you know a lot of people are frustrated You know, I, I think i've learned through this work to really focus on personal relationships and just really getting to know people we need everyone's help you know we need people on both sides of the aisle with every perspective imaginable i think to a certain degree. I mean, obviously, you know, deep intolerance, I don't have a lot of patience for, but reasonable people that are are smart and, you know, that care about their families and their loved ones, um, typically care about the environment too. building stronger personal relationships with people of, you know, all religious and political persuasions and affiliations. That's where it's at for for me. And our sustainability efforts, everybody's got a good idea. Everybody has had experience, you know, with trying to recycle or trying to get access to clean water. Most people are frustrated with, with you know, litter and pollution and things that marginalize them. So, I mean, I, it's pretty easy to find people that can help. So, you know, you pay attention to the media and, and, and there's a lot to, you know, be frustrated with, you know, probably on both sides of the aisle, but, um, being here in the trenches, I just, I'm finding a lot of allies all over the place in many places when I've least, where I've least expected them.
0: Right. Yeah. So this doesn't sound like it's a left versus right kind of thing, but that much of the work you're doing just sort of transcends the politics of the day.
1: Yeah, it, it does. I just try to leave politics out of it. People can argue about politics on and on and on indefinitely. Um, you know it's it's easier to find common goals and common ground and then build from there you know i've been in sustainability long enough to be able to help you know people that haven't really that maybe think of it as, as being pretty left you know and um you know to to kind of understand a different perspective right and uh you know we sometimes don't use the word as much you know in certain conversations but we we've kind of reached a point I think here at the university where there's a lot of um acceptance and people are understanding that it means just a lot of different things. You know, it's not, as my boss likes to say, it's not just about solar panels and tiny trash cans, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more, you know, it's about culture and it's about people and resiliency and so much more. So, Politically in a state as well, it, you know, our state went red for the first time, like governor, house and Senate the first time a hundred years, but still we've got a lot of allies all across the state on both sides of the aisle and, and, and people are supporting us. So, um, despite, you know, the Trump era, uh, we're still getting a lot of good work done.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it certainly sounds like it. Um, I appreciate all that you've shared so far and I think that can serve as an inspiration for the rest of us. Um, no matter what part of the country we live in um so as we're winding down here, uh, we've talked about a lot of amazing topics, uh certainly the podcast and and all the other great work you're doing out there. but is there anything I forgot to ask you about that you'd like to share? yeah,
1: um I just really appreciate your time, you know, if I'm gonna have the opportunity to use this as a sounding board, you know one of the one of the things that has been just Very um, rewarding recently is to watch uh, our university's solar vehicle team progress and build their new car. It's called Team Sunergy, and our new car that we're building is a coupe style. It's a two-seater, so the whole kind of international solar racing industry is moving kind of away from that spaceship-looking George Jetson car to uh, a car that people, cars that people can imagine themselves driving. Um, so our car is a two-seater, it's a coupe, and uh, we're kind of in the middle of its construction, just finished all the carbon fiber in the body, and we're assembling all its parts, and we're racing the summer in Hastings, Nebraska, in the Formula Sun Grand Prix, and it's a track-style race over three days, and that's a qualifier for the American Solar Challenge, which is from Omaha, Nebraska, to Bend, Oregon, along the Oregon Trail, and it is a partnership with the National Park Service. Um, they're commemorating 50 years of their trail system. And um, we can't wait to compete this summer.
0: Oh, that sounds very cool. We'll have to get some links up on the podcast website for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Please do because, you know, your followers can, um, or listeners, your listeners can follow us. Uh, the whole thing is GPS tracked across the country once we start in Omaha. And you can follow all the teams, everybody can follow their favorite team. There's a lot of schools from around the world will be competing in both of those races. And then looking forward, the kind of the Super Bowl of Solar Racing is a world solar challenge that started 30 years ago in Australia. And that race is from Darwin on the north coast of Australia to Adelaide on the southern coast, over 3,000 kilometers through the outback. And um, our our plans are to take our new car, which is named Rose, racing on solar energy to Australia in the World Solar Challenge in 2019 in October.
0: Oh, that sounds so cool. And I think this only adds to the jealousy that a lot of other people are going to have about you and your job and all the cool things you get to work on. (laughs) Sounds like you're a pretty busy guy. I work a
1: lot. (laughs) <laughs>
0: maybe next time we can talk about international stuff. I just got back from two weeks in Brazil. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, we'll have to save something for the next episode, I suppose, right? Yeah. All right. Well, anything else I forgot to ask you about?
1: Yeah, no, I think we covered a lot.
0: Great. Well, I will look forward to seeing you at AC this fall in Pittsburgh.
1: Yes, definitely. Our team will be there. So, yeah, we, um, we look forward to kind of the homecoming at AC every year.
0: Well, I'll look forward to that. Thanks again for coming on the show, Lee.
1: All right. No problem, Dave. Thank you so much.
0: That's it for this episode. To learn more, you can always see the show notes at our website at campusenergypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Energy Podcast. This show is a free service, but if you'd like to support the show, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or just telling a friend about the show. As always, thanks for listening.